0: Thirty of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast, and I'm joined once again by Darren Hill. How are you tonight, Daz?
1: Hello, Daz. I'm good. How are you?
0: Good, good. You ready for some action theater from the NBA preseason we're in pre-season uh, now? Can we do some hyperbole and speculation as well? That'd be great. Yes, that's exactly what we'll be doing tonight. So we're going to look at the preseason. We're going to look at some of our um, upcoming season predictions, and obviously we'll be able to go back. And see how close they are when uh, all is said and done. At the end of the year, uh, we're going to do our playoff predictions. We're going to do our tankathon predictions. Uh, Rookie of the year, uh, MVP. I've also got a coach of the year prediction. I'm not sure if you're willing to go in the limb there, Daz. I have one, sure. Okay, so I wanted to start though, with a little bit of news breaking. We've uh, unfortunately, when you have these preseason games, even though they've limited the preseason, uh, there are still some injuries in and around the NBA and some really quite bad ones, particularly from a Australian point of view, which we'll get to. The first guy I want to talk about, we touched on this last week, that Kawhi Leonard was sitting out pre-season. I'm a, I've sort of had the one eyebrow raised the more I read about this. Uh, it's a, a quad issue. It's basically tendonitis of the quad. Uh, that's not the official term of it, but it's, it's something similar to what Reggie Jackson dealt with last year, and Reggie Jackson never really... Hit his straps last year now, There might be a number of reasons for that But no doubt um, No doubt the injury was a part of it So a little bit of a concern there For Kawhi Leonard I, I think it's just an eyebrow raised at this stage And just something to keep an eye on Because there's certainly no guarantee That uh, he will start the season And Manu Ginobili actually came out and said Don't expect the Spurs to start fast This season So I think that's going to be um, Something to keep an eye on but maybe the bigger news and certainly guys that are definitely out that we've seen Rashawn Holmes from the Sixers got injured today so that means their stocks at centre are much thinner now uh, Jihil-, Jihil Okafor is really the number one centre there at the moment that's fit and Bede's still yet to get on the court and now Holmes is injured um, not sure that we, we know the full extent of Holmes's injury yet but we'll wait and see on that uh, Nick Batum from the, the Hornets, is also out. Uh, he had an elbow injury, may require surgery. So that's at the moment, they're saying eight weeks. It actually could be longer than that. We'll wait and see on that. And the worst news of all, particularly for us Australian fans, was the Utah Jazz. Uh, their offseason with Mel continues because Dante Exum has badly hurt his shoulder. Again, not 100% confirmed yet, but it looks as though he may miss yet another season. That's two seasons missed, and he, this is only his fourth season in the NBA. So unpack that a little bit, Daz. What, what What was the most significant? I think Batum may be the most significant from just a playing point of view, assuming Kawhi gets back. But uh, and obviously very, very bad news about Dante Exum.
1: Yeah, each of these has quite a, a little bit of you know ripple effect within each of the teams. are all quite significant starters or rotation players. So the one that jumped out for me was Batum with... Um, you know, obviously, with Monk falling, to where he where he went in the draft, Batum with this, he's got a ligament tear. Now, if he played baseball, this would take him, you know, eighteen months to get back. So this is not a, a minor injury; he's to torn the UCL. For people who follow baseball, the ulnar collateral ligament, a.k.a. it's called the Tommy John surgery in in baseball. So a very significant injury, but luckily he doesn't throw many baseballs. Um, Unless he ends up, you know, trying to use that roundhouse punch to hit Dwight Howard in the face when they get into it mm-hmm. at, at some point in mid-January, but it betumes a big loss. He, you know, he's been a fake, really good defender on Charlotte, um, and a and a four guy. And we'll see if that means a lot more minutes for for Monk. But I think what I saw was Clifford said that um, Jeremy Lamb's actually going to step into starting minutes. So very different sort of um, starting five with a lamb who most appear chucker than Batum. So that'll be interesting for for Charlotte, and we'll see if that means more time for Monk. Um, Rashawn Holmes was a bit of a darling, I think, last year for kind of the, I guess, a lot. certainly those of us who play Fantasy League and, and just watching the Sixers, um, the joy with which they played last year, even when Embiid wasn't on the floor, quite fun to watch, weren't they? So Rashawn Holmes, uh, you know, a second-round pick, good kid, good story, hard worker, um, Probably's got some upsides. So it was tough to see him go down, but that's not gonna mean much to Philly neither in the short term or the long term, you know, with Saric and Jalil and Simmons who can play some forward spots and Embiid when he plays his gosh, who knows how many games Joel will play, but so just tough to see a guy like that who's you know finally got a team coming together and not get the chance to run. um And then I guess obviously the the most significant of the injuries. I think they're talking about Dante missing the whole season. So it sounds like he's got a bit of a, a, complex, shoulder injury, and that, that can just linger. These shoulder injuries are, complex beasts. So that's just horrible news for that kid. So, the good news is he's young. The good news it's not like a Jabari, uh, Parker where you know it's the same injury, you know, twice where you start to wonder if this guy's just not meant to play. But, um, I think you and I both, when the last pod. Um, both agree that Utah had some untapped upside, and he was a—he was definitely a factor in that. Him and Rodney Hood. So, just tough for a team who lost, obviously Hayward and George Hill, and now lost kind of their their springy upside backcourt player. So a lot more pressure on on Rubio. And I—I I would literally have to myself Google to find out the backcourt um,
0: backups in Utah at the moment. So well, it'll be Donovan Mitchell. Um, who we might talk about later. We Mitchell
1: complacent too, but yeah, Dante Dante
0: holding the ball, right? I think he's a point guard.
1: I think, but um, but yes, so, so maybe Donovan can do some initiation there. But
0: well, I think I don't the, know what plan yeah. was. He'll be a bit of a combo guard anyway, so that maybe mm. he'll he'll play a bit more point guard than he would have otherwise. Yeah,
1: and then perhaps um, in the uh, in the cynics corner, we had Rajan Rondo. Um, with the sports hernia, so I've actually had those before. Those those lingering injuries just down down along your belt, and just so much as cough and you can activate those those things. So um, I predict I haven't. He's got to go see the doctor, and I'm not exactly his his physician, but I predict he'll have to have the netting and put, have a little surgery. He'll be out for I'm guessing somewhere about four to eight weeks with that, which probably for um, um for Pelicans fans and the fans of NBA basketball. It's probably a good thing. Let Holiday run the point, um, get the ball out of Rajon's hand, and um let's see how the, the Pelicans start the year without Rondo. Yeah. So it actually it to be a very interesting dynamic. They've planned in you know, the last two months with you know for Jean to starting start the season at the one with with True off ball. So interesting to see if um hot seat candidate uh, number one, Alvin Gentry, how he reacts to that now and, and puts the team together to start the season.
0: Well, they've been scoring freely in the in the pre-season thus far, and I, don't, I don't think that's a a bad news story at all. I think that's a good news story for New Orleans. I mean, you don't like to see anyone get injured <laughs> on the side. Okay, good. I don't really care if Rondé gets injured. Truth be told, but uh, I think from a basketball point of view, that's not a bad news story. Any team is better without Rajon Rondo, and I think teams need to finally wake up to that fact. Uh, yeah. At this stage in his career, anyway. Uh, so. We'll wait. So, but uh, so I mean, I, I just mentioned the New Orleans Pelicans. They played a couple of games with that start, particularly with Boogie and Anthony Davis on the court together. They scored, I think, forty-eight points, or forty-six points, it might have been, the first quarter the other night. And then in Pelicans fashion, they went on to lose the game anyway. But the, the starting five really did seem to gel quite well offensively. In that game, so I wonder if anything else has caught your eye. I might go first here, just in terms of the the uh, overreaction theater. If we can put ourselves in the, the ESPN studios and pretend we're in the hot seat on on first take or something like that does, and give our hot takes a, of the pre season so far. And the team that's jumped out to me, both in some ways positive and negative, has been Philadelphia, uh, the 76ers mm. because by G Ben Simmons. He just looks like uh, the second coming of sort of a, a hybrid between Lamar Odom and Grant Hill, the way he's playing at the moment. And the, I checked the other day to see what the record was for triple doubles by a rookie because I think he could be a chance of breaking it. Wow. I think he's gonna. There's gonna be a lot of nights where he puts up a sort of a fourteen eleven eleven stat line. I think he's gonna get his rebounds. I think he's gonna get plenty of assists. He can't shoot very well, but he is going to get some bas- some some points around the basket because he's just the vision the guy has, I mean, it's almost hardenesque esque in terms of where he knows where guys are on the court at all times. He's going to be a joy, I think, for Brett Brown to coach. Um, but on the negative side, Markel Fultz, uh, off his own bat, went out and uh, I guess you've got to credit him for some work ethic, but uh, he wasn't very happy with his jumper. In the off season so after he was drafted he took some time and remade his jumper and uh, now he can't shoot so that might be a bit of a problem and uh, he shot one of seven the other day in the eighty start he's made in the preseason but there are some concerns uh, in Philly about um, what his jump shot's looking like uh, thus far in the season but have you seen any of the highlights particularly I guess looking at Simmons from a more positive point of view?
1: Yeah I've I've seen the highlights I I haven't watched the full games I did a um you know so I'm seeing 3 and 4 minute clips and I watched a fast forwarded condensed game um just to see the what all the hype was about Simmons and it, it, again uh, if you on the spectrum of um uh, pure emotional eye test and um only on you know real plus minus analytics on the other end of the spectrum um I'm probably more in the camp of you know on some more leaning towards does he pass the eye test and holy f- holy fuck does Ben Simmons pass the eye test? Um, he just gl- he also just has that glide about him, doesn't he? Mm. He seems to get to the spots that he wants to get to. He has a bit of that, as you said, the vision and again that that at that height he's got a bit of um God dare I say, a little bit of magic in him, right? And I mean Magic Johnson, not Orlando, um, anything from that cesspool so that's ridiculous hyperbole which that's our, I think the, the point of our pod tonight though but i uh, think expectations are rightfully high about him and his game and i'm i'm feeling like the um the most important player on that team for Ben Simmons development is going to be jj redick mm. and even saric if he can saric can park out in the corner and mm. and drop the threes so uh, i think he's going he's going to create he's going to create space for people so that's been fun to watch on Fultz on the other side, um, if I was going to stand up and, I guess, grab the microphone at overreaction open mic night, <laughs> I, I would say, what the, f-? it's not, I'd be terrified um, that if indeed he's fixing, quote unquote, his own jumper without team consultation or without the coaches. So that's what I haven't quite worked out yet, whom was part of this conversation you know, is this just a surprise to those of us who aren't in Philly or is it, to whom is this a surprise, right? If this is a surprise to anyone in the Philly organization, then we're, then I think we're in trouble. Um, But look, he's also what, a 19 year old kid who perhaps is just trying not to become Aaron Gordon or Giannis Antetokounmpo or, or Ricky Rubio, right? He's probably just, I think his intentions will be in the right place. And, we've seen we've seen jumpers get remade before, uh, most famously by Kawhi, right? so it's also not by itself a a red flag, but unless it was kind of something he did on his own volition.
0: but well, um, it was definitely something he did on his own volition like he did yeah he, he wasn't meeting with Chip England or anything like that. Uh, yeah. He just went off and, and I think in Brett Brown's own words it was off his own off his own bat he's gone out and he's reworked his jumper before he's came back to us. Uh, and uh, they, they were unhappy with the player. And yeah. Like that, but they're not happy yeah. with the, the way the jump shot looks.
1: Look, so, yeah, so I'm actually going to try not to overreact either way, but that's a he's a wait-and-see player anyway, right? So I'm kind of, let's continue to wait and see. Now, if he if he has a, a shooting season like, um, you know, like a, like a Rajan Rondo in a bad, then a bad year, then we're going to, you know, the critics are going to come out in full force. But if this, you know, starts to prove and pay some dividends, you know, after this next 10,000 reps, we start to see him come around and, you know, in February or March, then we'll, um, then we'll see. But yeah, well it's Loving Simmons and um, I thought you were also going to mention Overreaction Theater, which was that, Joel Embiid has resumed basketball activity and five-on-five play,
0: is, and I did to
1: you Rich. a mere eight months after <laughs> after tweaking his knee. In uh, I, yeah, I shouldn't be joking about it. The kid probably works his ass off, but that's the that's where I'm. I'm a little bit tired of the overreaction theater about Embiid, and I the little glimpses I see are fantastic, but they're because they're glimpses. You know, I can't help but continue to use my stat. He's averaged ten games a year. Um, that uh, I need to see him play. Let's get him. Let's get him through fifty games a season, and, and then we'll see. But it's good that he's back on the court because it's it's fun to watch him play when he's well. When hopefully, he's healthy. this is the
0: last season they'll nurse him, and then he'll be he'll be right to go. But I, I'm a bit like you. I don't have any great hopes that that's going to be no. the case. Uh, not another, this year. Another team that everyone's overacting over—nothing unusual about this—is the Los Angeles Lakers. But um, and Lonzo Ball, look, we've seen, he's played one game. He set the next one out. I think he tweaked his ankle in the first game, uh, and he looked okay again. Not shooting the ball that well—that that's a very weird shooting stroke. We'll wait and see how that translates to the NBA. But one guy that's not having a problem shooting the ball is Kyle Kuzma. Uh, he's the leading scorer in the preseason at the moment, averaging well over 20 points a game. And uh, he he looks the real deal. <laughs> again, just from the eye test, uh, this guy looks like he's going to be a player. And uh, I think they've already got a fan favorite there in, uh, in L.A. to go and cheer on the rest of the year. Well, again, I'm, I'm going to be harsh and we're in overreaction
1: time. But um, why not? Because you're not going to get it from Brandon Ingram. Now, here's a guy who doesn't pass the eye test. didn't pass it last year. Um, the glimpses I've seen this preseason, he doesn't pass it again. I don't know what's going on between that kid's ears, but you're right, Kuzma has an absolutely beautiful shot. Now, he, he chucked ch- up a stinker in a, you know, to talk about a uh, Cleveland Browns versus Houston Texans game today, the Lakers down the Kings 75-69 in preseason action, and Kuzma chucked a, a one-for-six. You know, so uh, from three-point land, but still, um, uh, Ingram was worse. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, he's got a beautiful stroke, and he's he's long. And man, if he turns out to be half as good as Ryan Anderson, they found a gem.
0: Well, that was after a really good summer league too, so it's not a complete flash in the pan. Just a one-game wonder, a one or two-game wonder, um, and you know, he, he he looked good value when they where they took him. Uh, in the draft, uh, it was late first round, I think. Late
1: first, yep.
0: Yep. So very late first round pick, uh, but look, looks, looks the goods, and he's a guy that's going to excite. And yeah, I, I, we've spoken about him quite a bit um, for the Lakers, but yeah, Brandon Ingram. When you start talking about a player. Uh, in, the, in his rookie year, and say this guy's going to be a pure shooter, and things like this, and then halfway through they say, oh, and there he's going to be a playmaker. And next thing that you're hearing, oh, he's going to be a good defender. I don't know that they, they know what they've got, but I'm sure they they have not got what they thought they were buying. Uh, they- not at the number
1: two choice, and again, this is um, uh, I'm sure this is not the last time we're going to re- revisit it. And it's one, it's small sample, and two, it's preseason. But he's looked terrible. And he's shot terrible. And I go, when you can't get good looks and hit knock them down against Minnesota, Denver, and Sacramento in the preseason, he's one for eight. He's made exactly one three-pointer. Um, again, tiny sample sets, one for eight. But he's also shooting terrible from the field. But he's eight for 30 from the floor, right? And I go, after a terrible f- first season, and, and he's, again, my local, my Milwaukee equivalent is this, is, this looks like Rashad Vaughn numbers, right? Well, granted Vaughn drafted like number 17 number 18, uh, an infinitesimal expectation compared to uh, compared to Ingram, but it just it looks the same where everything's forced, everything's hurried, nothing's in the play. It's just the game is way too fast for him right now. And when you can't perform in summer League or in preseason, I go, I'm sorry when the, when the lights turn on and he got the he got the jazz or Chris Paul or the the Warriors or Memphis running at you, it's not going to get better. So I'm overreaction theater. I'm continually officially worried again about Brandon Ingram. So good on the Lakers for running a gym um, in, in Kuzma. Because even I, right, the, I also overreaction theater on Lonzo Ball. It's fun to watch him run up and down the court with the ball in his hands. It really is. In mm-hmm. um, the same way over in Philly, watching Simmons do that, it's really fun to have a, a playmaker with that sort of vision and that sort of anticipation mm-hmm and to make passes you didn't think you'd, you'd see be made. So if I can just envision already Kuzma leaking out and, you know, ball with the rebound and the outlet and pull up from 28 feet, you know, be shooting and forget seven seconds or less. So go five seconds or less. And um, again, he's sort of the Anders Ryan Anderson sort of style. So, as i'm talking about i'm getting myself excited for the fucking lakers dfs so i think they're going to be yeah,
0: they're going to be a decent it's going to be fun team. yeah uh, we a there i mean it, it, the other thing about ingram it, it is interesting to look back on that draft because there was a genuine argument about whether they take simmons or ingram it, it wasn't 100% My, the main feeling yeah. i always had was brett brown had known ben simmons and then had been around him really his whole basketball life so i thought it was a no brainer that philly would take him but if Philly didn't get the number one pick, I think it was a little bit more up in the air as to who was going to be taken there. And the way they look at the moment, look, and things can change very quickly, but the way it looks just at the moment, you'd have to say Philly's easily done, and that's and a no-brainer. This oh, scenario. for sure. And you wonder yeah. where Brandon Ingram falls in that draft um, if you if you redo it again today, because I'd, I'd be pretty confident well, he it, go too.
1: And, and look, again, he's he's really young. He's only 20. And they and he played a ton. And I just realized I was looking it up. He played twenty three hundred minutes last year, right? So he was durable, and he played a lot. Just everything just looked off. Like nothing. There was no one skill where I thought that's the anchor for him, right? That that's an anchor for him to build upon. Which is you know his his brethren and equivalent. You know, just two years ago, two years prior, right? Jabari also an offensive force coming out of Duke, a known non-entity as a defender, but we saw from the instant Jabari walked in the court as a rookie, you saw the explosiveness. Now he was clunky and clumsy and, and all the rest of it, but you like that that skill looks like Barkley on a you know on a on a mission, you know, when channeled the right way. Mm-hmm. And so at least we had that for, for Jabari to build on from his rookie season. I don't know what that is for Ingram. So um
0: let's push pause on it. I'm sure we'll talk about him a lot as the season rolls on. But yeah, not looking good. Well, another overreaction theater, is it too early for a what's wrong with the Bucks story?
1: Um, it's never too early. It's never too early for that. You know, we've got 51 years or whatever our history is usually something goes wrong. Um, look, the 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 reality is um uh, there's no way for us as fans to understand what happens in the locker room when a player suffers a, a horrible tragedy the way Giannis Yannis' dad died. So anyone knows Yannis' dad was 54 years old, obviously was living with them. Uh, the story right, of immigrants coming from you Nigerians know, who were, you know, grew, grew up as refugees in Greece and the fact that they kind of settled in Little, little Milwaukee and made it a home. And um, I think his name was Charles. I'm not forgetting his name was Charles. Um, so Yannis' dad passed away suddenly, unexpectedly, right? at age 54 and that sent obviously shockwaves through through the locker room so uh, I would normally say yep let's 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 a little bit of worry because it looked clunky but Giannis hasn't been there and what what does that do to a team right we saw what that does in the playoffs with the you know a bit of the team galvanized around Isaiah's tragedy with his sister but um, so we'll see this stuff happens life keeps happening we'll see what what sort of resilience um, this brings. We've seen other players, you know, take tragedy and turn it into motivation before. Um, Brett of Michael Jordan, just two off the top of my head. I'm sure there are countless others. So um, I think once we get through that process and we, we hear from Giannis, we'll, um, we'll know more. But it's definitely not the on-floor, on-court product is, has been clunky at best.
0: Yeah, I think you raise your eyebrows when the Bulls beat any team at this stage, even if it is only in the pre-season. So uh, it's it's not too far to overreact. Yeah. But as you say, they're, they're going through a lot there. I think Janis did come back and he has played a game uh, since it happened as well. So He
1: played you know, one. Yeah the, yeah, the Bulls, I think, were something like 14 for 21 from three. So just one of those nights where that they just... I don't know who their players were. <laughs> Mirror and I don't know who so and so and so and so put up
0: numbers. Chris Dunn had a nice <laughs> night. Uh, Did he there? So who I blinked that out. Maybe, yeah. Maybe yeah. they've got a maybe they've got their point guard of the future. Finally, the Chicago Bulls will wait and see. So anything yeah. else that's jumped there that you know Daz that you want to? You're ready to overreact to from the preseason?
1: No, I think we've touched it. Um, loved watching Lonzo.
0: Um,
1: you know. Young players like you know, like my Aaron Gordon, he's looked really good in his few games um, back playing the four. Uh, but again, I don't care about any reaction about basketball in Orlando till they win forty games. I think we all should we should turn and and face north. Um,
0: no, that's that's probably the highlights. Yep. So well, all right, let, let's move on to our season predictions, and we sort of went through some season predictions when we did the free agency pod. Uh, well it seems like a long time ago now it was probably about six seven weeks ago uh that we wrapped that one up. Uh we've gone there has been a few different changes. I'm a little bit higher on Houston now than I probably was in that pod. Uh they have made they made a couple of extra signings obviously after that pod and mute and Tucker to the, the most notable ones that I can think of. So a couple of changes. Let let's start in the East because we really we had the exact same same eight teams in the Eastern Conference. Uh, there was only really a difference in how we had them ranked. So I'll just quickly go through them. I've got them. Boston 1, Washington 2, Cleveland 3, Toronto 4, Milwaukee 5, Charlotte 6, Miami 7, Detroit 8. So that's a regular season ranking. That's how I think the playoffs will be formed. You actually had Cleveland 1, so you're a bit higher on Cleveland the regular season. We both had Washington 2, I think that's interesting in itself. You had Boston 3, so we're sort of swapping Boston Cleveland around. uh, Toronto-Milwaukee 4-5, Detroit 6, Charlotte 7, Miami 8. So not a lot of difference down the bottom end uh, of the Eastern Conference, it's more up the top end. Um, What about your take on Cleveland? I mean, my take on Cleveland is this. I don't think they care where they finish, as long as they're in the playoffs. Obviously, they prefer to be top four, so you you do get a little bit more of a home court advantage. I don't even really think they would care if they finish seven for eight. Uh, no Isaiah Thomas until January, so if LeBron sits, this team is really going to be horrendously bad, I think. Uh, and I think he's going to sit a number of games. I, I, I think he's going to play around the 70-game mark this year, to be honest. I think if he's got any sort of niggle, they're going to sit him. I think that's going to add up. Uh, I think Boston won the number one seed last year. I guess you can make a an name, and are they better or not from last year? I think they're better. They come back as a better team. Maybe there's some continuity issues for them early in the season that hurts them chasing that one seed. Uh, and and maybe Washington's a team that can jump over the both of them. We're we're high on Washington from a regular season point of view. Although one injury we didn't mention was Markeith Morris, who will miss the start of the season and. That's not a, that's not a team with a, a great deal of depth, so we'll wait and so see. I guess how bad that badly that affects their team. But I guess just focusing on the Boston-Cleveland dynamic. I mean, you, you still feel like Cleveland are going to have enough um, to get through the regular season as the one seed?
1: I do. I just I think the the simple, the simple reality is they're actually a lot deeper than they were last year. And Ty Liu quite famously. Likes to play, you know, about ten man rotations. And I think they've got legitimately, you know, eleven or twelve this year, whereas you know, they're just running on fumes trying to defend Golden State last year when they're trotting out Richard Jefferson, eighteen minutes a game against the Warriors in the finals. And I go, at least they've got. I think the I've i said it since the day that the trade was made that the I think this is again overreaction theater. Just how much pressure, stroke, expectation, stroke, hope that um, the the Cleveland fans have for Jay Crowder, right, to help play some, play some D and let LeBron go back to his freestyling defender where he can, you know, uh, lay off the Aaron Gordons and the whomever, the Joaquin Noahs, or whomever is basically the non-shooter on the other team, LeBron will take them and just float and roam and play amazing help side defense to his, you know, direct traffic, communicate the way he does, and, Get everyone in position and conserve a ton of energy. So Jay's presence allows him to do that. So I like what that means for for LeBron's year. And look, I know these are the they're not the versions of themselves from five years ago. But you know, um, I I joke about D Wade being the you know the the stable goat, but he will have a calming effect. I'm pretty confident about that, and I think we'll see. Get as little glimpses what I've seen and just reading some of the. Things coming out of the camp. Uh LeBron seems happier. I think he likes that D-Wade's there. And believe it or not, you know, your favorite one of your favorite whipping boys, Derek Rowe, is mine too, to be fair. A dude's lost fifteen pounds in the offseason. He's gone on a uh an Eric Spolstra regimen. A dude's leaner. And so I don't I almost can't and don't care at this point, because it's October, and we haven't seen that translate to anything in terms of basketball or wins and losses, but that tells me something, right? It tells me something that he's done, he's gotten himself fit, and I'm just going to leave it at that and go, that's something, and it's something to watch. So if D. Rose can even give them what he gave the frickin' Knicks, you know, if he can give 17 and 7, you know, that will be not insignificant whilst they try and figure out what what goes on with Isaiah. So I think they're deeper. I think they know how to turn it off and how to turn it on. I think they have... Still terrible problems on defense. Um, I think with this move with Kevin Love going to the five, that's a, that's another big question, but Kevin Love at the five, right? Their offensive efficiency was, with him at the five last year, was better than the Warriors, right? So they were literally one of the greatest offenses in the history of NBA basketball when Love played the five last year. That means they're going to be terrible on defense, um, and so Tristan moving to the bench is going to be a, another dynamic, and we'll see how that plays in the playoffs. But uh, um, yeah, all the strings together for me is I think they're deeper. I think they've got options. I think LeBron's a bit happier. He's got a, he's got a stable goat, and I think at the same time this is a where do they rank in the in the in the East? I think by the same token, right? Boston has had so much change. They've got Kyrie who wants to be the man. And I think they're going to see growing pains. I just anticipate more growing pains of chemistry and style. And, you know, when's the last time fucking Kyrie Irving played in an offense that swung the ball side to side and moved it around and looked for a shot? So is Stevens going to change the offense to suit Kyrie? And if he is, then he's going to unlearn all those good habits and pick up a whole bunch of new habits. So, look, he's infinitely smarter than me, but I just see – the ripple effect of their style of play is going to have to be quite different with Kyrie running the show than it was last year. So I just anticipate more, you know, more just a little bit longer lead time for Boston to get it figured out. And and by the same token, their defense also got a lot worse, and their rebounding, their rebounding got worse. So they're going to also have to outscore people like Cleveland will. So all all total, I think Boston's going to have a little bit tougher time getting it all together and the, meanwhile just the, the little engine that could Washington just you know the, the the pinnacle of continuity bringing back the same five which has its own risks I think I think they could have tried to do something with with Gortat even though I he sort of fits nicely with that starting five I see them still slotting in kind of in that two seed. so um
0: well he's there's my, my there's my sorry you go ahead well he's my Canada that so I think Yes, Cleveland, you can make an argument that they're deeper. Uh, I'm not sure I even subscribe. I'm just not sure how much you're going to get out of Rose and Wade. I think they might put up numbers, but it might be a net negative across the board in that team. They're already not a great defensive team. They may be even worse. But let's take the argument and and agree they're going to be deeper. They're not as top-heavy. That's the thing, and I I think that's going to hurt them night to night because it's a a pretty big hole to fill, Not no Kyrie Irving. Uh, And no no Isaiah Thomas to fill that at all. We don't know uh, when he's going to be back, we're assuming January. We don't know what state he's going to be in. So I don't look, and I think, don't forget that, they finished second last year. I think they were only a couple of games ahead of Washington, so it's not a massive call to say they're going to now finish a a little bit behind Washington. On the Boston side, I'm just not as... Oh, and the other point I'd make on Kevin Love is I don't think the Kevin Love at centre experiment's going to last. Um, you know, you're going into Detroit and Andre Drummond starts backing him down and bashing him around down low. That is going to... That is go... There's the secret sound of the night for our loyal listeners. Fantastic <laughs> <laughs> background, thanks. Uh, we'll, we'll be taking some guesses this week as to what that was and you can let us know, we'll let you know next week. But, you know, you can imagine with Kevin Love, Andre Drummond's backing him down, and, um, you know, even when you're, when you're playing Philly, you're Julie Loker four, and guys like this, they're going to take him down the, down low. Now, look, offensively, they might be fine, but that's going to wear him down. And I think that playing him at the five, it's, that's fine in spot minutes, and it's fine to look at these analytic things and say, wow, that, that went really well offensively. But this is a guy that's had injury problems. He's had back issues. He's had knee issues. Like, this is a guy that you don't want to be putting those sort of miles on his legs. So I can't see that lasting, to be honest. I think eventually he'll either come off the bench or they'll make some other change uh, that we haven't even factored into yet, um, in, into that starting five. So I, I don't think that's going to be a long-term thing. Um, so that, they're the two things I'd say. You know, not as top-heavy, which I think hurts their overall quality. Yes, a little bit deeper. Uh, secondly, Kevin Love not, not to start, not to stay in the, that fire position. The other thing, I guess, with the Celt, from the Celtics' point of view, I think it'll be a little bit more seamless than you do. I think Kyrie will basically take on the Isaiah Thomas role within the offence. Stevens is a good enough coach. Gordon Hayward already knows the system. He'll come in. And when you're putting good players like that together, and don't forget, in a pretty terrible Eastern Conference as well, so... It's not like night to night They're going to be being pushed Unless they go on some Western Conference road trip uh, Most nights they're going to be favoured in those games And I think they'll be able to work out ways Of winning it And I actually don't even think their rebounding Is maybe any worse Let's see how Aaron Baines goes I mean all, all they're going to be doing Is asking Aaron Baines to go out there and, and bang some bodies down low And pull down some boards I think he'll do that just as well As Amir Johnson was able to last year And, and Kelly Olenek not known for his rebounding and I was really Jay Crowder wasn't there for rebounding either, so I'm not sure that their rebounding is necessarily worse. I don't think it's necessarily better either, but I don't think it's a, it's going to be a major factor, one way uh, or the other. There, um, so those are probably about it. I mean that that was our main disagreement. So I guess there's a little bit of disagreement about Detroit six or eight. Um, you're a little bit higher on them than what I am, but not a massive difference there. I guess Charlotte six for me. Maybe that's a bit high there with Batum injured. Yeah. Uh, a lot of pressure on Kemba Walker, and, and every chance they don't start that well uh, without Batum. But we'll wait and see. I'm I'm happy to to stick with Charlotte at this stage, at the six. More to do with the, uh, more to do with the, the the weakness of the Eastern Conference. Um, and I mean, here's here's my question tonight for you, without notice. What's the cutoff? I mean. What team in the East doesn't make the playoffs in the West? If it's a, let's say they just take the top 16 teams in the league. I mean, what, where do you see the cutoff at?
1: Um, I, I, I don't hesitate to say it's the Bucs. I think the Bucs would fight, but not be shoe win. I think the Bucs would fight down there with, with Portland and, and Denver and Utah. But I think they could probably sneak in. There's zero chance. I have zero confidence. We put any amount of money that Detroit, Charlotte, Miami, fill in the blank would would make it in the West. So mm. at worst, it's five, and I would have to even think hard about the Bucks playing that schedule out west. So that for me is the at a minimum, it's those three. Would you make that? Would you put the Bucks in over Portland or the Clippers? No. Or
0: no. Well, I don't have the Clippers in anyway, but I would actually have the Clippers ahead. Of the Bucks, and I don't have the Clippers in my Western Conference playoffs at the moment. So that's how that's how low I am um, on the. Yeah, Conference. the
1: Bucks, ironically, are I think what we saw last year. Again, small sample set uh, caveat. They actually might be a better playoff team than the regular. season I, I was going to say
0: that I actually like what? them in the playoffs better than I like Toronto in the playoffs, but I don't like them in the yeah. regular season as well.
1: Agreed. That until they develop some, unless we have 80 games of Chris Middleton. Um, that's where I think where the Bucs are, you know, they're com- they're comfortable there in that probably 46 to 48 win range with the, you know, with the healthy Middleton. Um, but yeah, that's a good question, but it's, that's pretty, uh, we'd argue about Milwaukee, but that's, we're almost splitting hairs. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Yeah. Look, Oops. you know, if I think about the Bucks are probably about as good as Memphis, but they have probably
0: more star power, but you know, the they
1: probably probably about ninth, yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: they're bit, they're better than Memphis, not to me, not as good as the Clippers. And I don't know where you have Utah. You don't actually have Utah in your eight. Let, let's go there where eight with the West. Uh, I'll, at the moment I've got Golden State yeah. number 1, I've got San Antonio 2, Houston 3. So I've gone I've moved Houston up. I was terribly low on them after 380. Okay, so 4 I think there's going to be some growing pains there at OKC. Utah, I've got five, Massively high in Utah. You don't even have them in your playoffs. Uh, I don't know anyone else that would have Utah quite that high. I'm really out of the limb there. But uh, just irrationally high on that term for this year. Denver 6, I think they're going to get it together and make the playoffs this year. Portland 7 and Minnesota at 8. Uh, Minnesota, one of the teams we're not really seeing eye to eye on. Let's go to yours. You've got Golden State 1, Houston 2, Spurs 3, OKC 4. You've got Minnesota 5, I've got them at 8, so we'll come back to that. Denver 6 is the same, Portland 7 is the same. You've got the Clippers in, and I've got Utah in, and obviously quite high on Utah. Start with Houston. You're pretty high on Houston. You obviously don't think there's going to be growing pains there. Any, any quick thoughts on Kevin McHale's comments uh, during the week about James Harden and the, the non-existent leadership that he offered during the time that McHale was at the club.
1: Yeah, look, if if he didn't hear the the news, it was a uh, it was like a just a sort of studio panel sort of discussion, and, and uh, McHale, uh, obviously James Harden's former coach for a number of years, three three years in in Houston, and saying that he, he didn't think um, I can't remember exact quote, but basically saying he's not a leader. And that they need Chris Paul to be a leader on the team, and James Harden um, basically defended himself and talked about how hard he's worked and his community work and st- the time he puts in practice and things he does to do, you know, social things to get guys together to, you know, to bring rookies into the fold and that sort of thing. So um, that was the, the gist of the debate. And so the, the two the two levels of the conversation are why is a, why is a coach. Throwing an ex-player under the bus? Why is he doing that? And then you know the, the merits of the comment itself on on Harden's leadership. And so my my main problem with this whole situation was it just makes Kevin McHale, who who interestingly was fired right 11, 11 games into his three-year extension. So um, uh, let's say sour grapes to say the least. At Kevin McHale, he sounds he sounds a bit George Carl. He sounds petty to me when he says things like this. And I just don't know what to what end. Is he trying to be Stephen A. Smith and sound uh, controversial and get, grab some headlines? Um, because if, if that wasn't his motive, what 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 was his motive, I think his for, motive for saying was,
0: that? I think his motive was quite quite simple. It was that he's been waiting for an opportunity to throw Harden under the bus. And the opportunity presented itself. I mean, if you put yourself in Kevin McHale's shoes... The one year that he had a, a good year with, with the Rockets and they made the playoffs, they're obviously their big playoff victory was over the Clippers uh, and James Harden was on the bench during the big comeback game. Um, he was playing terrible, awful body language, seemed to have quit on the series, quit on the team. And uh, so Kevin McHale benched him and of course Josh Smith made all them threes out of his backside. Um, McCar looks like a genius after the fact but I mean, it, he must have been disappointed in the effort and the response that he got from Harden in that game then Harden takes the final shot in a crucial game, one of the Western Conference finals, dribbles the ball off his foot doesn't even get the shot up then turns up the next season completely and utterly out of shape uh, his usual commitment to defence which was zero and what was it, 10 games into the season Kevin McCall gets fired so I think there's no question about it. Some sour grapes there from Kevin McCall. Now, should he use his his platform in the media to go and throw James Harden under the bus and have a sly dig at him? I'm not sure, but I can certainly understand where he's coming from. I mean, James Harden was hardly a model professional during the time that he was at the club. Now, maybe some of that is on him. Certainly, Dan has got much, much better results from him his partnership with James Harden. But I can sort of understand, I guess, where Kevin McCall is coming from. And the other point I'd make, I guess, is he, he's not there to just provide vanilla commentary. I mean, he, I, I don't have a, necessarily a problem with people providing their real opinions on on players, particularly if they're players that they've worked with. So I, I, I didn't see it as a massively controversial thing to say. He particularly focused on the fact that Harden doesn't play defence, and that's... Uh, you know, that's absolutely no secret to anyone and his exact words were when when James would get the guys in the huddle and talk about defence, their heads would drop because they just know he's not he doesn't set any sort of example on that side of the ball. So if you want to be a leader, carry yourself like a leader. And and obviously there's a number of different ways of leadership and getting rookies involved, doing community work, you know, working out hard, getting in shape, they're all great things. But I, I, I do think there's an element you've got to try and play at least give effort on both sides of the ball. It's not something that he's ever been able to do.
1: Yeah, uh, so I'm, that's, uh, I don't know what else there's to say other than I just look at what would the mode, what's McHale's motivation, knowing that the outcome of his comments were that he's at best alienated himself um, to a large number of, I think, a large number of players. And you just don't see Jeff Van Gundy. Right? you see Jeff Van Gundy talking shit about Dwight Howard? You don't. you just don't see players um, sorry that's Stan I got my wrong Van Gundy. but um you just don't see coaches talking you know ill about their own guys, right? What happens in the locker room should stay in the locker room. That's my problem with it. and I think he's I think he's alienated himself at best. Now if we want to argue the merits of of Harden's easy he quote unquote a leader, will he be better off playing? the Robin to Chris Paul's Batman. Um, We could also, I could make a very compelling counterpoint that was it Harden's pouting or the fact when Jason Terry and Josh Smith are raining fucking threes and score whatever it was, they scored, what, 38 points in eight minutes or something ridiculous like that in that Clippers game six. I go, is that about James Harden or is it about a bunch of players who are unconsciously draining threes from all over the court, right? So I kind of go, whose truth do we want to, put forward in these little examples around it Um, and likewise with the defensive comedy I could list in rapid succession 20 players who try equally as hard as James Harden on defense and on a given night that's where the league is heading that's where the league has gone for quite a while Um, there's lots of hiding of bad defenders all over the league so I'm I'm far less likely to 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 bang on Harden for being a strategic defender I will say though right Um, if, if Harden is hypocritical and trying to rally his team and trying to spirit them for, you know, to slap the floor, like Steve Wojciechowski and, you know, and, 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 you know, dig in and, and get a defensive stop. I think, I think the player should laugh at him. Like, come on, shut the fuck up, James. Go, go run the pick and roll, (laughs) score us, you know, you know, 2.2 points per possession upon 28 feet, you know, whatever it is. So, um. So what we don't know, and only, yes, of course, Kevin McHale would know. And that's why I just think it is petty. It's just petty to do it. So I just, it just he had a choice. McHale had a choice to make, and he chose to be petty and to, you're right, have a dig. So it was an axe to grind. He looked for an opportunity. He took it. And I go, that's just fucking typical Boston Celtic sort of thinking is the way I look at it. Boy, boy, howdy. He and Danny Ainge are best friends. What a surprise, right? You know, Larry Bird. Oh, things don't go how I want it in Indiana. I fucking quit. Oh, there you go. Oh, but there's your 80s Celtics, right? Either goes our way or everyone else is an asshole. Okay, great. (laughs) There's there's your 80s Celtics sort of personality, you know, rolled up. So I, I just put so little stock in what, anyway, I don't like it. I think it stinks. If you want to talk about Harden versus in his game against, will it be different with Chris Paul? And I'm, I'm all ears, but is he a leader, not a leader? Shut up, Kevin. Just shut up.
0: Well, I guess, and the point is try and keep things positive. I mean, when you're talking about ex-players or whatever it may be, so that's probably a reasonable thing to say. this point. As I said, I didn't see any major, anything major about it. I don't think. James Harden's necessarily carried himself on the court as a leader right throughout his career, so I don't know why Nickers was such a twist over it. But uh, I guess, once again, we don't see either eye on oh, James Oh, you know,
1: it's, it, it's just that I, I would get into a twist. You would. You imagine, I don't know, what's our equivalent, your wife going on Facebook and saying, yeah, my husband, he's, he's a bit weak, you know, and he tells me to do things and he actually doesn't. You know, when someone from your inside your circle does that that's a betrayal right and so forget the merits of the comments well, it's, a, it's we're talking about a betrayal yeah, they
0: wouldn't have left on good terms no
1: of course not
0: so there, right. he's not in his inner circle anymore i don't think it's any surprise whatsoever um, all right for james harden and then maybe harden should take it as a challenge and say well yeah i probably didn't carry myself the, the greatest during kevin McCall's reign but uh times have changed i don't know i mean yeah anyway look we can we could certainly go back and forth on that. Well, <laughs> well it's, look, the evidence in the playoffs. So I, I'll never you'll never hear me argue differently.
1: Is if you you still haven't seen him win a you know win a huge game, right? He's you know you haven't seen him you haven't seen him do a LeBron. LeBron will go for whatever he did in game five against the, you know the Warriors. Will go for thirty eight eight and eight. You know, and give everything. Like leave it out there, right? We haven't seen him do that yet, even in a losing effort. You want to see him do that, right? That's why I think even like again come back to my, my, my team right? to see Giannis do what he did, basically almost vomiting with exhaustion, missing all those free throws in Toronto. But man, that rallies a team, doesn't it? So leadership is about work effort and work work you know work work ethic and input and doing what you say you're going to do in consistency. And I don't doubt right. I don't doubt that James Harden is probably um, let's just call him in the softer camp of 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 mental toughness he probably hasn't had to endure the things that uh you know the kawai's or the yannis's have had to endure in their life and because he's so fucking tippy toe brilliant on offense he doesn't have to he doesn't have to fight or punch or grind he's born with that unbelievable ability so yeah, but if
0: you want to yeah. win a championship at some stage you do have to do that
1: uh, and you do i agree
0: and that's that's I agree that, but
1: then body. I go, and that's where I go, you know, Russ hasn't, Russ and KT together couldn't do it. They fucking gagged away, probably even a worse choke than the Clippers' choke against Houston. I think, you know, if we just the the trajectory of the NBA the next decade, right? Is I think I'm confident in that if Oklahoma City could have found a way to close out of dead, the Warriors were dead, right? They had them, they were beating them up, they were killing them on. The offensive glass—they were in very difficult to defend. They were outrunning him, out hustling him, and they couldn't execute. They couldn't run a goddamn fucking set in the last two minutes. And I go, you know, so I go, Harden is not alone in the club who gets defeated by the moment, right? Mm. Matt Ryan in football is now the new flag bearer of the moments too big. So uh, whilst it perhaps is fair criticism of Harden, he is probably in the majority, right? So until he starts to trumpet his, you know, if he's backing himself the way Russ does, um, then I think he's going to be set up for more criticism. But he's actually a pretty quiet guy. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't go out self-promoting in his defense. He's not a he's not a self-promoter. So I, I just think the whole thing is a preseason overreaction, airing dirty laundry, airing of grievances, festivists, feats of strength, you know, sort of, sort of pissing match. And I go, well done, Kevin McHale, because you just got eight minutes on Daz & Daz episode 30 <laughs> for what's going to be forgotten about in a day and a half, isn't it?
0: Well, it was a slow news day, no doubt, but it was something we'd spoken about off air, so I thought I'd, I'd raise it again. And, and just to reiterate that you're a little bit higher on Houston than what I am, but we both... I, I certainly wouldn't be at all surprised in the number two city, uh Although, go and state... I think Golden State could get seventy-five wins a sniff. That's how that's how good this team is. Um, I think if they start well, be prepared for anything this season from Gold State. They yeah. because the, you want to talk about depth, they're actually deeper than they were last year, and they missed yeah. around Durant for a massive portion of last season. Still finished with an number one seed in the end very comfortably. Uh, I think that they're, they're certainly going to win seventy. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that they're going to break their own record. But I'm sure they're not thinking in those terms yet. Let's see how they start. But but be prepared for anything because they are going to be a very tough team to well, beat they're, on any given night. Uh,
1: their 13th player, right? Jordan Bell, who was given away by Gar Pax. Mm. Uh, he's missed, I think, two shots in the preseason. Yeah, that's right. He's, yeah, mm. 11 for 13 in the preseason. So he's their 13th player and he hasn't missed. And if he didn't catch it, and, yes, it's preseason, but the, the Warriors dropped a casual 142 on the Timberwolves today. So I don't well, know if you that caught that, Daz. With, but... I
0: did, but that wasn't with their best team either. That was a lot of their bench guys coming off in the second half and doing that. Well,
1: you know, Curry and Thompson and Draymond and Durant, they all played 28 minutes. So they, they played 28, 30 minutes, so they're almost a full game, and they had them blown out so badly, right? So Curry was 6 for 9 from deep. Clay Thompson was 8 for 10. Durant was 2 of 4, and Draymond was 2 of 4. So you just told Lev as a team, they shot sixty three percent. Right? That's what they're capable of. Yep. So this team now of if you assume a healthy Kevin Durant and some continuity in a whole off season to prepare and add a bit of depth with, you know, Caspi, you got the young guy McCaw who got much you know, some really important minutes last year, developmental minutes. And you
0: Nick know, they can Young's play some bigger moments.
1: moments. Who's that?
0: Nick Young will have his moments this year.
1: Nick Young will have he'll and yes, I guess Nick Young will be the, you know, like the Derrick Rose equivalent in, on a night when you don't really want to play that hard against Sacramento or Phoenix or the Knicks or wherever Nick Young go out and get you 18 and, you know, still, still win you a game. Um, if winning's going to be important. So it's going to be interesting to see what they're, you were hinting at 70 plus. It'll be interesting to see what sort of goals this team sets, if they're going to go the Cleveland route and not sort of chase, you know, regular season Um, trophies or if that's what they need to keep motivated is do they try to need do they need to win 74 is that a thing it might be so um Mm -hmm. they're they're so good this this unbelievable western conference won't look like who's going to slow them down I guess the theory right which is I go I almost as I talk about a theory is that that you've got the if Houston can get their shit together with Ariza Tucker Baamute Capella uh Harden uh Chris Paul can defend Harden can't defend but Chris Paul um that that can in theory pose a problem right in theory and I go that's only theory the only team that's actually put into practice is San Antonio who has the best coach in the league and knows how to get under their skin they at least know how to make Golden State adjust themselves and think and and sadly I just, you know, I, as we've talked about many times, I think San Antonio had a a Plan C, Plan D sort of off season. I think this went the way they wanted it to go. Hmm. Um, but I just don't know who's going to even get in Golden State's way. Well, Houston, Zach Lowe, maybe.
0: Zach OKC. Made the point that the the four hmm. the first four games the Spurs played against Golden State last year, they had a twenty point lead in all four games. Now there's a few asterisks. In, in some of those games. One was the first game of the season. One was where the Warriors west rested players. But there was something about the style of play that did worry the Warriors. Um, but the problem for the Spurs is they've got the style of play, but they don't quite have the personnel. I think certainly they don't have to pull it off in a seven-game series. But oh. And you wonder, does any other team have the personnel to pull off that style? Because a lot of the other good teams are sort of pushing... Um, sort of going more towards the Cleveland way of just trying to outshoot them. Uh, and I don't think you're going to beat them in that sort of a game either. So maybe OKC are the team that we're, that, that, that could potentially do it, but I'm not sure if Melo's a great fit to play that style either.
1: Well, Melo can help out him, right? And so I think between Stephen Adams, um, Paul George, uh, Andre Roberson, and a motivated and locked-in Russell Westbrook, I think that's the... I, I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but you know, if last year was the was the revenge season, right, with the with KD going to the Golden State and quote unquote revenge against LeBron, and, and and achieving that the year before was can LeBron climb the mountain and achieve that? We've now got the I think the most fascinating storyline isn't going to be Cleveland Golden State. Um, in uh, in, this be four years in a row, it would be. Yeah, I got that right. Yep. Jesus, time flies. So that'd be pretty amazing. But I, I think is where you were hinting. And who doesn't want to see Golden State, Oklahoma City in the Western Conference Final? I know. Yes, you're a Spurs fan, but right from a from a drama perspective, a healthy a healthy Russ mm. facing off a healthy OKC facing off a healthy um, uh, healthy Golden State and a healthy Kevin Durant. That for me has got the most fascinating storylines. So I'm. That's why I, I didn't by accident. I think you actually have them number four as well, don't you? Okay, see, it yeah, four? Yeah, I've got them number four. Yeah. I don't know if I believe. I think they'll probably – I could see both Houston and San Antonio having a little bit of downside. Um, but I just want to see them – I'd love not to see them in the second round, but I think it's going to happen. I just want to see them play in the playoffs.
0: Yeah. Now, we might leave Utah. So we've, we've spoken quite a bit about Utah, but we've obviously there's some disagreement there. You you think they'll miss the playoffs. <laughs> so I've got them as a as the number five C. So but the other team we're a little bit different on is yeah. Minnesota. Um, I've got them as the eight seed. I, I could I could see them missing out in the playoffs altogether. But you've got them as a five seed, so you're you're a little bit higher on them. Talk me through the positives. What you know, apart from the Jimmy Butler signing, which we've already sort of spoken about, what are, what are the positives you're seeing, and and where do you think this team's going to go this season?
1: I'm going I'll be really brief, right? In that, I just I don't know where the points come from, in Utah. And that's that's the that's my headline. And I, I just don't know where they're gonna come from. They've got this traditional Derek Favors, you know, back to the basket, pounding big. They got Rudy Gobert, right, who's a you know, a stellar athlete, but you know, his offensive game is pretty limited unless it's a rim runner, alley-oop sort of sort of sort of player. Um Rubio can't shoot at all, never has, great distributor, but obviously he's got no sort of shot. And so there's so much pressure. On Ingles and, and Rodney Hood, I just and, – and the young kid Mitchell, I just – I don't know how they're going to keep up on a lot of nights. So that's my that's my headline with the Jazz. I just don't see – they're one sort of another Rodney Hood injury um, away from just being a grinded-out, a bad Memphis sort of team. That's my feel about, about Utah. I just
0: think quickly, I, I think they're going to be an elite defensive team, and I think they're going to be able to win a lot of games, 86 to 80, and the defense will carry them, and then they'll get just enough points on most notes. And the other thing is they're gonna play hard eighty two games, they're gonna be well coached eighty two games. And I think that counts for something um in this league. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I guess I they're they're for, there for me they're like the Miami of the West where you're right. They will feast on on the you know, the bottom ten teams in the league. I just I just see them struggling to keep up with Golden State, with Houston, with San Antonio, with Oklahoma, heck, even with Denver, well they have enough to slow down the nuggets, so I just that's my headline with them. I think we'll we'll see. I think Exxon actually hurts them. Right? This that injury is a he's lost a bit of that explosiveness, that second unit stuffs so and some offensive upside. So I think that's a bit of a it's a bit of a ding for them, but um I just don't I just don't see them scoring enough. And then yeah, I, I guess I'm this is probably just it's probably as much wishful thinking as anything, where Minnesota proved well, the data would tell us, not prove. The data tell us they didn't defend at all last year, right? And the eye tests, and you and I talked a lot about this, of of Cat and Wiggins and par- Wiggins in particular, just totally disinterested. Dare I say, Jabari Parker like lost, and James Harden disinterested. The Cat and Wiggins had that in spades last year, and one has to wonder: How does a Tom Thibodeau team? have its two biggest stars do that. And I I don't have the answer to that, right? Because I think uh, coach would tell us that the, um, and God, I'm getting old now, his, his name escapes me. The coach in every podcast we listen to, but coach says, right, defense is all about um, attitude and effort. And so they go, what is it about um, uh, Wiggins and, and Carl Anthony Towns' attitude or effort that has them not playing defense for Tom Thibodeau? And I don't have the answer, but it worries me. On the flip side, I could see them scoring a bucket load of points now with, with Jimmy Butler and with Teague, a nice traditional point guard who's got a bit of a scoring game that Rubio never had. I think they could score a ton of points. So I'm gonna I'm just sort of banking on a bit of continuity, a, 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 give me a 20% increase in effort and intensity on the defensive side out of players like Wiggins, um and carl anthony towns and uh i like i like their depth i like their scoring i like their shooting and it's i guess i'm placing a lot on thibodeau to pull it off so their defense terrifies me but i'm i'm banking on a bit of an uptick and and tibbs doing it
0: yeah coach thorpe coach david thorpe's who you're thinking of i believe there um Thorpe, sure. so, thank you. Yeah, that's uh, it. Thank you. The Tibs, uh, yeah, he just didn't get it done last year on the defensive end, and I'm just not sure. Maybe this isn't the team for him. That's that's my worry with this. And he's born in Taj Gibson. He's born in Jimmy Butler. There's not much shooting on this team. There's not, certainly not much three-point shooting. They're going to be doing a lot in the mid-range, I think. Uh, a fair bit of attacking the basket, etc. I mean, they just gave up yeah. 142 points all bird against the Warriors. But that, that doesn't all go well for how any sort of defensive scheme it may be coming together there for Thibodeau either. Uh, I, you're hoping, I guess, that Butler's work ethic, Butler's commitment to defence rubs off on these guys. They had a stretch last year. I remember we brought it up in the pod where they actually were playing some really good defence. It was about a five or six-game stretch, and then it, then it disappeared as quickly as it came. But... So maybe there's something there that he discovered and he may want to go back to the tape even and look at what were we doing in those games that was different. I'm not sure, but I remain unconvinced. Minnesota are a team that the last couple of years we've sort of expected them to make a bit more of a leap than they have. And it's a bit like when I say, I'll believe LeBron won't come out of the Eastern Conference when I see it. It's a bit like that at the moment. I want to see it from Minnesota before I buy in. Um, I saw enough flashes from Denver last year to be pretty confident they're going to make a rise this year. I didn't see as many flashes, and I think they're a mentally weak team. And again, how much does Jimmy Butler bring to the table from that point of view? Um, because I like Wigan's game in many respects, but I think the, the mental side of it, there's still, there's still a big question mark there. And then and, and the Towns are that year younger as well from an experience point of view. So I've got to Don't get me wrong. I think
1: there's going to be a shelf. Like I think there's going to be a big drop. I think Oklahoma City um, is at, uh, even. My floor for them is 50 wins. I think they could win 55. San Antonio, I even forget as bad as their off season has been, they won. they win 60 last year again? Dad, 61. Year. So I go even if they have a horrible fall off and they win 56, right? Kind of go that still has to put them in the three seed. And so I go. There's going to be a drop. So if Oklahoma City, let's say, wins 51-52 as a four, I don't. I have this bundle: Minnesota, Denver, Portland, Clippers, even Utah. They're all about 44-win teams for me. Yeah. Like I think there's going to be a huge group of teams that win about 44. It'll be five, six, seven games over 500, all battling it out. There's going to be a massive drop from OKC. So whilst I think I have them at five, it is a tenuous. It's a tenuous hold because I can. If you gave me an extra five minutes, I could probably argue for Denver just for their youth, upside, athleticism, scoring prowess, different ways to beat you, mm-hmm. um, right? So, but I, I just I'm going to bank on Tibbs and I'm going to stick with the narrative of star power. I just think that if they can figure it out, Cat um, Wiggins and Butler is a fascinating trio with a competent point guard like Teague and a and a, and a, a nice traditional big like Taj in there, so. We'll see. see, we'll
0: see. And with the Clippers, I just, I just worry about the injury h- history of Blake Griffin, Gale, yeah and, and two days. not just uh, doesn't bring much commitment to the defence. I think he's going to be a bit of a scorer, a playmaker off the bench for them. He's going to be the, the big addition, maybe. I I thought he was uh, when they first bought him over from what I'm reading. Um, but they're, they're still a fascinating team, the Clippers, and I could certainly see them being up as high as five, even though I've got them out of the playoffs. Right at the moment. So, if you told me that yeah, they're going to get 65 to 70 games out of Gallo and Blake Griffin, I'd pick myself up off the floor and then say, Yep, let's let's put, pencil them into the 5C. Um, so, let's go now to our tankathon rankings. This is uh, something that always fascinates us. Who's going to be the worst team in the NBA? And it won't surprise anyone, we've both gone for the same team as our number one horrible uh, tankathon team, and that was the Chicago Bulls. Uh, I've gone from there: Phoenix, Atlanta, the Lakers, and the Knicks. Uh, Atlanta have looked particularly horrible in the preseason. I didn't even bring them up. I don't even think it's an overreaction to say they're going to be horrible. Um, the The main disagreements, I think I don't have yours in front of me. Do you remember who you went on? I think you had Phoenix there as well.
1: Well, I had. I went. Um, I had Chicago, Phoenix, Sacramento. The Knicks and I think Orlando might have been my last one. You did,
0: yeah. The, the Sacramento was the big one. I, I Sacramento are yeah. thinking of themselves as a playoff team. Now, obviously, we don't think of them as a playoff team. But I think with the veterans that they brought in, I, I just think there's something to be said for teams that want to win and aren't going to, at any stage, go, you know what, we're just going to tank this season away. I don't think it's in the Kings' mind. I don't think it's in the Magic's mind. And I guess where I was looking at it from is... There's the five teams I think that are the most likely. The Lakers probably not, well, the Lakers definitely not because they don't own their own pick. But outside the Lakers, I think the other four are teams that could certainly at once at some stage in the season just say, look, we're going to try and get up very high draft pick." I mean, I just don't think the Lakers are going to be very good in terms of winning games this year. But uh, the Hawks, the Suns, the Bulls, the Knicks, I think they're all going to be playing for draft picks as this season goes on.
1: Yeah. Yeah, look, I could again. I I, th- I could I could probably make a good argument. What I I don't like, what I didn't like about Vlade's final deals. What I liked in the end, and, and sort of as we've we're sort of at the halfway point of measuring the Boogie Cousins trade, I'm now definitely don't mind that. I probably still don't. I don't grade it a, you know, an A, but I don't I don't grade it an F like I did at the time of the trade. So that's actually turned out to be okay with Buddy and. I guess they effectively got deer and fox for it, didn't they? New Orleans picked yep. effectively because they packaged it, but I just, I just don't understand why they have such a, a why they have to double down, triple down on the old guys, right? I go maybe sign one of Zach um, or Vince Carter, but why both and George Hill? And I go, don't you have Willie Cauley Stein and Skyless, you know, Skull and and the rest of these guys to sort of develop and. You want to see Jackson play a little bit, and you drafted Frank Mason, and I just, I just wanted them to commit. So you're right that they want to win, but just adding the dinosaurs with the kids, I, I just, I question the, I question the chemistry, to be honest. And oh,
0: look, don't get me wrong, they're not going to be a good team, but I think when, when, when we get 50 games into the season, they're still going to be trying to win. Whereas I think a team like Atlanta, a team like the Knicks. Uh, certainly Phoenix, they're just going to say, we're, we're putting the queue in the rack. If, if a guy's got a make-believe injury, he'll be sitting out and we're, we're aiming for draft picks. Well, I just don't think the Kings, and I don't think the Magic either, as bad as they might what, be, I don't think they'll be thinking in those two. I'm genuinely
1: curious, what what tells you, What why do you say that? What makes you believe the Kings are trying to win?
0: Well, they wouldn't have been giving out contracts to George Hill and Zach Randolph, to the amount that they give. They didn't just do a Elton Brand contract and say, we want a guy to sit in the locker room and not play. They want these guys to play. That so they think they're, I think they're aiming for mid-30s, 40 wins, probably even higher maybe internally. And that's what I hear from other people in the league. Um, mm. You know, mm. a little bit more switched on than what I am in terms of what people are saying around the Sacramento. This is not a team that sees themselves as a, as a lottery, to, as a low or high lottery term, if you like. Uh, I think they see themselves as, as playing off of that eight seed in the West, um, and uh, I, I don't see where that's going to possibly happen. But that's certainly where they see themselves. So I can't see them uh, just saying, "Well, we're going to blow it up and, and yeah. it for the rest of the year."
1: I think it's a shame because they could have, you know, let De'Aaron Fox play, you know, Brandon Ingram like minutes, you know, let Scow and and WCS, you know, play all the big minutes and. And uh, that's the other injury we forgot about. Um, Harry Giles isn't going to play. They shut him down for the whole season already.
0: Yeah, they retweeted so, him,
1: yeah. Yeah, but effectively, that's right. Well, they, um, they but, were
0: going to just put him in the G League, I heard. And now they're, they're saying he's not going to play at all. Yeah, they
1: just shut him down. So that's my problem, I guess, is that I just would have liked them to stay committed to, uh, you know, develop the young kids, do what Phoenix is going to do, right, which is to effectively really, you know, they'll bench – if they don't trade Bledsoe and 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 um and Tyson Chandler during the season at the trade deadline, they're gonna you know they're gonna shut them down again. I just don't see the Kings doing that with Vince Carter and Zach Randolph. Those boys want to play,
0: exactly right. And so they're, they're, and that's who knows that might be three or four wins it gives them. And and at the end of the season when the Kings are playing the Suns, they the saw sort of the games that Zach Randolph and 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 George Hill will give you wins in.
1: Well, maybe. And The other side is they they put up 69 points against a preseason Lakers team <laughs> today, so no lie, 69. Yeah, they shot 25 for 80. So that's, that's, they got that going for them. They didn't even turn the ball over. Only 11 turnovers. So, yeah, okay. They're I have them in my tank. Yeah, they're in my tank, of course. Hmm. I they're definitely they're terrible. Um, uh, and I think that was the other the overreaction theater kind of bringing that full circle to Tankathon. Man, it's the, the Knicks are a train wreck, aren't they? Are they just going to be a <laughs> – like we've said, but we hinted last week, but if they're not a bottom five team, I will be shocked. Again, only because the other putrid teams in the East are so are so putrid. Um, but my oh, goodness, with, uh, you take Carmelo Anthony away from that team, clog it with all those centers. Mm-hmm. Hornacek's got the absolute opposite type of roster that he wants to have. The the hangover from Charles Oakley and from and from Phil Jackson, it just man that has the possibilities it it does. There are Tim Hardaway Jr. high ankle sprain away from a, I literally mean a fifteen win season. I mean bottom bottom of the bottom. Kristaps, you know, pouting. Oh, I, that's that for me is a train wreck I'd like to see.
0: Well, the I'd Bulls, like to see that. the Bulls might have one of the worst rosters I've ever seen. Not not from a night-to-night point of view, but just from a looking at the roster and saying, where is there any hope on this roster? But where's a guy that you think he's going to become a star? Or in two, three years' time, gee, I'd love to see that guy. It is as depressing a roster as I've ever set eyes on, maybe since a few years ago when when the Bobcats, as they were then. But even they had Kemba Walker, I guess. There's not even a Kemba Walker-level player unless you're unreasonably high on Chris Dunn. Um, It's just a horrible, horrible roster.
1: Well, you got Freddie Hoiberg, right? The magician, you know. I think he'd like to jump jump inside one of those boxes and get sawed in half because I might feel better than coaching this team. They were 11 for 41 from downtown today, Taz, (laughs) against the Pelicans. They couldn't keep pace, you know, with the... uh, D Cunningham and E Moore led Pelicans. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, they, uh, they you're right. Their their roster is at least New York does you go. Oh God, yeah. Zinger and and Hardaway can actually go off on a night and you know um, maybe play some interesting pick and roll. There's nothing interesting about Jay Grant, Jay Holiday, P Zipser, B Portis, C C Filatio, R fellatio, D fellatio, D Nawaba. You know these are real names, Nwaba, Blackenly, Eddie, right? Oh, poor Lord, poor Lowry Markinen. man, he would have. Thought, what hell did he get? Did he get? Did he fall into? I hope he likes money because that's about all he's got this year. Man, no, that is, is depressing. So, okay, you're right. I'm depressing. sold. The Bulls are going to be the worst. They're going to be the worst, even by, if they're by... not
0: the worst, the worst record, they'll be the worst team. And they're probably it's going to be that depressing. Maybe they'll end up as the third worst team and, and totally miss out on the top pick.
1: Wouldn't that be beautiful?
0: Mm.
1: Well, Just... Cubs fans deserve that sort of agony, so good on
0: you, Chicago. Good on you. Oh, let's uh, let's stay away from the Cubs, zero uh, <laughs> one, one all at the moment in the in the uh, playoffs Yeah, they and are. And that's so uh, we'll see how that turns out. Next week, let's move on to some of the individual awards. So we, we differed on the MVP. Um, you had you sort of gave me two names. I want to talk about the second name. But well, first, your actual pick was Kevin Durant. I don't think that's a controversial selection at all. He, he probably would have won it last year if he didn't get injured, in my view. I've gone quiet, Leonard. A little bit worried, as I said earlier, about the injury that he's suffering at the moment. If you told me he misses significant time, I'd certainly go Kevin Durant as well. I think there's going to be a real reaction in MVP voting this year, does against numbers. I don't. Think, I think if a guy comes out and just puts up big numbers, I, I think after what the embarrassment of last year, and I think it was embarrassing that they had James Harden and Westbrook battling it out for this MVP, and they both were really atrocious. I thought for the most part in the playoffs. Uh, and they had a, a series against each other which was close to, as close to unwatchable basketball as you could see. So I think there is going to be a reaction to get. I think there's going to be a few sympathy votes for Kawhi Leonard if he puts himself in the conversation, because I think there's, there's a bit of a feeling, not among everyone, but among some uh, people that I've, I've read after the fact, that sort of said, look, maybe he was the best player last year. He certainly played better than the other two guys in the playoffs. You can certainly argue that LeBron and KD uh, elevated themselves even further than that with what they did in the playoffs last year. Um, But the other guy, the name that you threw out was Corey Irving, um, that you thought maybe an outside chance at... Uh, the MVP. And that, that was a left field one for me. He wouldn't be in the top five guys that I would have considered. But what are you thinking now? I mean, you're just seeing it from a numbers point of view, you can see him putting up big numbers at Boston once once any growing pains might sort of subside there.
1: I was just fast forwarding to April, right? Just the way the, just as you were hinting at the headlines that we had been we had been building towards and then wrote in April around uh, Westbrook and everything he did post Kevin Durant and that you know just we knew the chip on his shoulder would be so immense that he would you know want to prove the world wrong and he effectively did as an individual did it translate to winning or playoff triumphs no but it's hard to argue his durability his likability his intensity his teammates still supported him that's why he's a little bit different from Harden that way where as stat chasey as as Westbrook was you can't question that guy's effort right so I just, I, I just think that an, I could build a narrative from, from Kyrie from the very public uh, announcement to one to leave LeBron and have the breakup, wants his own team, gets paired with, paired with Boston. Oh, my God, they got rid of Isaiah, the beloved child, Horror, you know, a hard place. How does Kyrie feel? Those shoes, all the roster turnover we've seen in Boston. How's it going to fit together? I could just sort of see it playing out where, in spite of all the drama, he then actually becomes the player that he thinks he can become, which is, I don't know what that is, but in his mind it's probably something like a, like an Isaiah, a 28, 29, dare I say 30 points a game type of score who also can dish you know, 8 to 10 assists and hit 40% from three. I, I could just see the narrative of Boston gets the one seed, Kyrie plays, you know, seventy-seven games, has a stat line like a twenty-eight, you know, twenty-eight six and five, and shoots, you know, eight, um, shoots forty percent from downtown, hits a couple of high-profile game winners or something. I could see that building up as a, you know, what? That's a very compelling case as the, the not LeBron best player in the Eastern Conference conversation, that then translating into MVP votes. So it's less a I don't think he's gonna win it, but I just I can see that playing on the just an optimist view, I could see that playing out.
0: Yeah, look it's possible. I mean the 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 argument I guess against the other guys is K D and Steph might cancel each other out a little bit at Golden State. Uh Kawhi never puts up the, mass, the most massive numbers that you'll ever see So and they, and the Spurs take a step back in their win total. Maybe his argument doesn't look as good. How many games does LeBron play? Maybe there's And, and I don't think Westbrook's going to put up the same numbers. I don't think Harden's going to put up the same numbers as what they did no. last year. So I, I think there, there may be a vacuum that, that Kyrie can step into there. Um, so as I said, when, when I first saw it, it was completely left field for me. Um, but talking to you offline and then talking to you now, I can certainly see where the argument goes. Uh, I'd still be quite surprised if he did it. But you know, who knows, we could be this could be something we're still talking about in January, February.
1: The other argument was the other one I didn't say to you, which I was gonna have a chat with you, with you live about is almost as the the perfect kryptonite or not the kryptonite but the um the neutralizer to harden is could Chris Paul Put together a Steve Nash-like season, right? Of unbelievable efficiency, um, high shooting percentage, great true shooting, um, high assist totals, uh, game winners, and could he change? Could he? Because he'll be given credit, right? So if they play a lot better defense um, than they do than they did last year, and he gives, you know, he gives he gives Curry fits sometimes, doesn't he? Where that's a great battle. So what if they win? You know, um, two or three of the the regular se- or three of the regular season games. And he has one of those Steve Nashian type seasons of ninety percent from the line and fifty five percent from the floor and forty percent from Flea play and plays fantastic defense. And Harden perhaps is a different little bit player off the ball. I guess we could see a narrative being built around it. Again, hard to get the votes over a KD or a LeBron or or a Curry or a Kawhi, but could you see a narrative being built out if they? get very close to a two seed, give Golden State fits and he sort of changes a bit of the culture in Houston.
0: I could, I think it'll be a narrative like Tony Parker was in the narrative a few years ago where no one's seriously saying he's going to win it, but at least give him in the conversation. He might be a top five guy, might be a first team all NBA point guard, but uh, I just, I think there's going to be just too much overlap between him and Harden as, as to who gets the credit for whatever success they have. Um, And and, you know, I don't know that their ceilings that much higher, even at their best, than what they did last year. So, um, but look, it it certainly could happen. I mean, and and if other guys do fall by the wayside, and and you're sort of going, well, you know, Kawhi, Spurs haven't been as good. KD and Steph, who can't see over at LeBron, set out games. I mean, there may be a matter where we're looking around, going, well, who is going to be MVP? Um, and all due respect to Steve Nash, I think there was a little bit of that when, when Nash won his two MVPs, where there just wasn't a standout candidate and then he was the best of, of, of a bunch of players who were there um, in those no seasons. So that, it wouldn't be, again, it's, it's, I don't think it's, it's way, way out there, but it would be a bit of a surprise to me yeah. um, to see that. What about Rookie of the Year was the other one that we wanted to talk about, as well as Coach of the Year. Um, I had Ben Simmons. I, I just think once once people get a look at this guy, I think their jaws are going to hit the floor uh, of what he's able to do on the basketball court. Not sure how consistent he's going to be. I think that's going to be interesting. The shooting's obviously a worry as well. Can he overcome that? But I just think from what he's able to do physically uh, and, and the, the hoops IQ that he has... In the team where he's going to be featured as well. I mean, it's interesting. Neither of us had Philly in our playoff matches, so I don't think they'll. Stick no way. I don't think they'll. Stick Not even in the East. <laughs> no. Oh. So, uh, but I, th- I still think. I mean, they're probably going to win about 35 games somewhere around that that range. And I think there's going to be nights where, where he really is a standout player. But but you threw forward Donovan Mitchell um, as your pick. And, then, and after the Exum injury, I, th- I think it was a, a reasonable pick. And, and you're sort of – well, I'll let you make the argument, but basically it was around the, the fact that you think Utah are going to be a little bit better team, and maybe it's a bit of a Malcolm Brogdon argument from last year.
1: It is. I just basically went through the um, went through last year's draft and went, sort of went one by one. And I thought, you know what? You know, we we know what we got with Fultz is probably not going to play. I
0: don't think he's
1: going to play a ton of minutes. I think right? Jared Bayless
0: is going to play more minutes than him. There, there's a hot that's why I mean Bayless is a Bayless was a very competent player. He was mostly injured last
1: year, but he was very competent for the Bucks the year before. Was very surprisingly clutch, one of the Bucks' best clutch players. So I think Fultz's minutes are going to be a bit, a bit down. Not to mention the, the the quirk with the jump shot, right? I think. Um, uh, Lonzo is going to be uh I think his his efficiency numbers are going to be so bad I like he will be wonderful on a lot of nights and he'll have a, he'll just create amazing highlights as he's not going to score enough and I think his, his shooting percentage is going to be pretty poor so I think he's going to have some some black marks I don't think Tatum's also good enough it's getting out of space for Tatum to play in Boston so I just kind of went one by one Jackson's going to fight for playing time with with tj warren who just re-upped and booker's going to get lots of the looks and eric blood's still going to play a ton so i think jackson's in a developmental sort of season and i went down the list and dennis smith yeah you know dallas is going to be so bad that i think he's also going to have sort of those michael carter williams like years where he could get a lot of empty stats and a lot of meaningless games mm. and so i just sort of thought the, a, a, a combination of opportunity system and uh, contributions to winning, which as Brogdon proved last year was a, was a factor, right? It was a factor that you contribute to winning real, uh, real NBA games. That's where I thought Mitchell might be a sort of a sweet spot, especially with now with XM going out, perhaps has a few more minutes for him in, in the starting rotation, but there'll be play for him. He, he played three years in college. So he's not a, he's not a 19 year old, like, like, like a Fultz or a De'Aaron Fox or something and uh right as you had picked you know in a quinn snyder system if they stay healthy and find enough offense that could be a they could be a five seed and we could find ourselves saying you know mitchell played two thousand minutes at you know scored 10 5 and 5 or something like that um and with his own highlight reel of his own being um in the conversation that being said i would still tip simmons i i'm with you on that one i think he's probably the favorite but i if i put I actually put money on it. I would probably put Mitchell at his odds at number two. Just, mm. I just have a feeling about it.
0: Yeah. Well, the last one is Coach of the Year. So we, I went with uh, Scott Brooks, although I think if Golden State do end up going for that record, Steve Kerr's obviously going to end the conversation again. But I just look, we both had Washington as number two seed. They haven't won 50 games since 1979. So if he can get them over that 50-game hump, uh, get them to a two-seed, Uh, turn them around for where they were when he took over, which they were pretty much the joke of the league under Randy Whitman. Uh, That is going... I I think that's going to raise a few eyebrows. I think other guys, you know, like Brad Stevens got a very good roster to work with obviously Ty Lue does. Pop's there every year. D'Antoni won it last year. Maybe Billy Donovan if he can bring the OKC up. But I just think order of elimination, I went through and thought, you know what, I think Scott Brooks... Is uh, a pretty good chance of winning the coach of the year. But who, who did you, who would you have gone with, or who who who's your prediction there?
1: I did a similar thing you just went through, which I said, you know, uh, it'll be hard to give it to Kerr even if they win. They literally would have to win 74, I think, mm-hmm. to give it to Kerr. Where well, that roster is so superior, right? even you know the ghost of Luke Walton could coach that team to 70 victories. So I think coaching has proven itself to be a just keep it steady in Golden State. Uh, Dentoni won it last year. Hard to see him improving. Pop's, t- Pop's team got worse, so I think they would have to again. They'd have to win sixty again for him to be in the conversation because this is their team just I think got worse. So for me, that my two finalists were, and I trust no one in the East, right? Uh, Stan Van Gundy'd have to win fifty-five. And that ain't happening. I think Brooks's team is too steady. I think if, uh, if they win a bunch of games. Um, with their terrible bench, which I don't see it happening. The credit's going to be given to some unforeseen leap that Otto Porter makes or something like that, not any coaching sort of brilliance. So my two finalists were going to be, um, just what you hinted, Billy Donovan and Thibodeau. The two guys, right, have got all these stars now. they got a whole bunch of pieces to put together. And so if Donovan probably has a higher bar to to jump across, I think they'd need to be... If OKC gets two seed, which is not impossible, I think he, I think Donovan's your winner. If Tibbs gets that team a four or five seed, I think then there's your conversation. So I was thinking those are my two finalists, and where I had Minnesota ranked, I had Tibbs as my coach of the year.
0: Yeah, I think if Minnesota is, they get the five seed, I think you can certainly make that. The, the argument will be a lot easier to make.
1: Yeah. So for team. me, it's going to be um, all Western Conference. I think Donovan, Tibbs, and my my third will be also back to back to Utah if Quinn Snyder can take this offensively really hamstrung team um with all the the things they've gone through now with Exum and Hayward and Hill stuff leading if he can make them even a a really pesky six seed or something I think he should be he'll get votes but it'll be tough for him to win it just because I don't think they'll the they'll won't have the W's but mm-hmm. I'm gonna go Tibbs I'll go Tibbs
0: Okay, Daz. Well, we look. We might leave it there for tonight. That, that's our season predictions. Out of the way, obviously, uh, uh, you're not going to surprise me and tip anyone other than Golden State to win the finals. Are you going Golden State, Cleveland again in the finals? Golden State to win.
1: Yeah, the the West still has to play the East in the finals, doesn't it? I yeah. just, I would just, it would just, I wish we could fast forward and get this, you know, this one through sixteen, uh, reseeding of playoff teams implemented so my, my fantasy is an OKC Golden State um, you know finals that would be that'd be great drama but yeah until until the medicals tell us otherwise because I also the other conversation we didn't have it will continue to revisit it is until Isaiah is proven to be out um, I will still tip Cleveland in the east and yeah I don't I'd have to be nuts to tip anyone besides Golden State
0: yeah, no, I think we're going and take go They're, and take,
1: uh, they're, they Jordan Bulls era good. Like, there's just they will be, they're, they're going to be special. Yeah. Christ, they could score one thirty every game, Daz might average 130. Who knows God. what
0: records they might break, and that's yeah, thing. maybe that's their goal. They might just keep an eye on certain records and say, "All right, we're going to aim for this one." As if if they if they start 20 and one or something like that, like they did in the year that they did break the road, I think anything's in play because this is a team that can win easily. Like if Kevin Durant goes down for the season, if if any of their one player goes out for the season, you're still sitting there saying that the.
1: Still probably. Yeah, you can we need someone? the only
0: guy I would raise an eyebrow and say so that that's a loss that's going to be hard to cover just because he does so much for that team.
1: Yeah, I agree. Well, I would even I'd, I'd argue that Steph is still the most important part of that team. If that backcourt loses loses that lightning bug, right? Mm. We saw that's what a true. you know that this the sim, you know, he wasn't 100%. You know, when LeBron made the comeback two years ago, Steph wasn't 100%. I think their their team is less about Kevin Durant's presence than it was about 100 percent curry. And now they just become unbeatable with healthy healthy Kevin. So it it's just they'd need something and you'd never want to wish it and you can't do it in prognostications of who might or might not get injured, but they're just they're just special. So as much as we kind of bashed cupcake last year and I still we can we can do kind of the lamentation that the league has gone a bit cupcake. Uh, maybe we need to watch some league pass this year to because this team's gonna do crazy crap on the court. Yep. They're gonna do. Cr- they'll they'll score. I don't know, a hundred points and a half. Like they're gonna they're gonna create crazy goals for themselves. Ninety points a half, mm. hundred and eighty for a game. You know they're gonna do stuff like that. They'll make thirty threes or something. You know they're just gonna redefine scoring records. Yeah. So I
0: so, oh, just for the record, I wouldn't mind seeing Zaza get injured, but everyone else. Does this. <laughs> <laughs> let's just hope for. Let's, a, in all seriousness, let's hope for good, good luck, injury luck in the playoffs. I know. Uh, for all time, why
1: couldn't Rashawn Holmes have been Zaza? Yeah, <laughs>
0: that's right.
1: but your problem is if Zaza gets hurt, then then Jordan, Jordan Bell, Bell plays all kinds in. of minutes, and the team Zaza, actually gets better. So Zaza's yeah.
0: actually their thirteenth man. He just he <laughs> that's starts. right. Yeah. Okay. All right, does All right, mate. Well, we'll t- leave it there. We'll talk again next week.
1: Good stuff. More preseason basketball. Bye.
0: Bye.